We're in our last week of the Lord's Prayer. We're going to be talking about teach us to pray, Lord. Teach us to pray. You've heard us say for the last number of weeks, we talk about prayer, just communication with God. It's just speaking to God. Prayer doesn't have to be lofty. It doesn't have to be flowery. It's just our hearts speaking to God. You've heard us say this, when your heart speaks to God, God speaks to your heart, right? When your heart speaks to God, God speaks to your heart. God's not interested in what we can just say with our lips. He's interested in what's in our heart. And if you love him from your heart, tell him you love him from your heart. If you doubt, tell him that you doubt. God knows everything anyway, right? He knows everything. And yet, I mean, he knows what a bumbling fool and an idiot I've been most of my life in different ways, right? He knows, don't say yes, but he knows, right? Doesn't he know? He knows where our struggles are. He knows what our problems are. And he knows that he's always trying to draw us to himself. And when he wants us to speak to him, he wants us to speak to him with honesty and transparency. When your heart speaks to God, God speaks to your heart. We're going to read the Lord's Prayer. And I ask you to stay standing because, um, you know, in Christian tradition, most of the time when Scripture was read, it was read when people stood. And the reason why they did that was out of a reverence for the Word of God. When we stand. Now, interestingly enough, in Scripture, they stood and they would read the Word of God. You see it in the book of Ezra. And shortly after they read the book, they read the, the scripture, they're on their knees worshiping God. So they don't stay in their position of standing in reverence. They get on their knees and they worship the Lord. But we're, we're doing it different. Um, so if you would join me, we're going to read the Lord's Prayer before we go into the, um, the message today. And I just want to encourage you to be reminded that these are the words of God on how we should pray. And he plants them deep in our hearts so that we can grow closer to him. Beginning in verse 9, let's read this together. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. God, may our hearts stay open this morning. May the soil of our hearts be tilled this morning to receive the word that you're going to plant in our hearts, and may we know you deeper and better through this time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated now. Thank you. It's you guys. Yeah, so if you're joining us today for the first week, um, you're catching the tail end of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, we call this uh, Prepare a Place, this, 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 the, um, the, the slide was called Prepare a Place in 2020, because that's what I believe that God is encouraging us to consider as a church. And what does that mean? It, it speaks to the notion and the idea that if, if God really wants to move in our hearts, are we making a place for him to move in? You know, God might have a piece of you. If you're a follower of Christ, if you're a believer and you have a piece of you that you've given to Christ, you've trusted in him, maybe though you have all of the Holy Spirit in you, he doesn't have all of you. I can say that for myself. He, he has, I have all the Holy Spirit, but he doesn't have all of me. And I want to prepare a place, not just for a guest, but for a new resident to live. Not in this building, but in my heart. Scriptures say that our bodies are now the temple of God's presence, the Holy Spirit. So when we talk about preparing a place in 2020, it's doing the practical things, doing the things that we can do to make a way so that God does the things that only he can do. And it's pretty powerful when we avail ourselves to God to watch him do things in us and through us simply because we're obedient. And that's where he does the things that we could never do on our own. 
So preparing a place is a challenge for each of us. In 2020, if you want to see God in a real way, unlike maybe nothing you've ever seen before, in a new way, in a fresh way, prepare your hearts. Make room for him. Do the things that will draw you closer to him, and he will reveal himself to you. We start our 21 days of prayer and fasting at the beginning of every year, and uh, you know, for a most of us, thank God it's the last day for people that are participating in that. Um, but preparing a place is not something we just do once. It's a rhythm. And I want to say this up front, um, that fasting doesn't go away in 2020. One of the things that we've done that was, I think, kind of an error when I look back over the years is that we talked about it in the beginning of the year, and then we really didn't talk much about it through the rest of the year. And I think, you know what we do in rhythms? God wants us to have rhythms. Rhythms are healthy. He wants us to have routine, which is not unhealthy in this case. But doing the same things over and over again over time give awesome results if we do the right things. So prayer and fasting are two of the things that we talk about and rhythms that God wants us to practice each and every day of our lives. So what we're going to do as a reminder, every Sunday we come, we worship, we sing songs, we open the word, we read scripture. 21 days of prayer and fasting, we started with a prayer and devoted time of fasting. We're going to take the first three days of every month in 2020, and we're going to set them aside for a time of fasting before the Lord. Um, that does not mean that you need to go without food the first, second, and third. I know what you're all thinking. Isn't that Super Bowl Sunday? Yes. <laughs> Tell you what, if you don't eat at a Super Bowl game, Holy Spirit's going to move in you like nothing before. <laughs> because this is the time of year where everyone feels justified in overeating on a Super Bowl, but myself included. Um, but the first three days of every month is just a designation to say, can we get into a rhythm? I don't want to do one thing for 21 days in a row and forget about it for 11 months. I want to do the same thing every month, reminding us to continue to be in a process where we're seeking God because God's not interested in what we can do for him this big. He's interested in what we do for him each and every day. And the relationship matters. If you don't believe me, if you're married... Think about it this way. Would you rather have 21 days with your wife or your, or your husband in January only to see them disappear for the next 11 months? Or would you rather see them three days a month for 12 months? Don't answer. <laughs> but what I would guess, what I would guess is that you'd rather see them every single month Three, time, three days a month, as opposed to right up front and then not see them for 11 months. God doesn't want us to just do something during a moment of time and then forget about them. He wants us to have a rhythm. And part of that prayer and fasting rhythm is to keep us in a place where fasting does not change our hearts, doesn't draw us closer to God. By changing God, it brings us closer to God, doesn't bring God closer to us. So just be reminding people to do that. And that's what we're going to be doing over the next 11 months. So prayer and fasting is where we are. Uh, we're talking about the Lord's Prayer. And we've looked at the qualities that are in the Lord's Prayer. If you grew up saying the Lord's Prayer, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, that's fine. To understand the words of the Lord's Prayer are wonderful, but there are principles that Jesus teaches in the Lord's Prayer that we've been covering over the last few weeks. Um, the first week we talked about um, the first two verses, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our Father in heaven talks to us about the principle or the quality of faith, that we have to believe that God's real, we have to believe in faith that God exists, but because he calls us a father, we also have to remember that there's a relationship that comes with that avenue or that element of faith. So our father in heaven is a declaration of faith. So we have to believe who you are. Hallowed be your name is a principle or a quality of worship where we recognize how unique God is, how different and set apart God is, just like that song we just sang. Are you Lord God Almighty, worthy is the lamb? There's no one like God. 
And hallowed be your name is not just a word that we say, but through our lifestyle and our actions, we honor God. And that's true worship. True worship isn't just what we sing, it's the way we live Monday through Saturday, not just on Sundays. So hallowed be your name is worship. Your kingdom come is an attitude of expectation. That was in week one as well, third principle or, or quality. Your kingdom come, expectation. Do you expect God to do things? We can expect God to do things, not because he's obligated to do them, but because he promises to do them. We can expect that God will never leave us or forsake us, says that in Hebrews. We can expect that God's love will never, ever, ever be separated from those who are in Christ Jesus. You can expect those things. You can expect that when you come near to God, God will come near to you. Those are scriptures. Do you expect God to move around you and in you? Heart of expectations, part of the prayer. On earth as it is in heaven, your will be done, is what does it say? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The fourth quality or principle was the idea of submission, that we have to come to God with a hands-open perspective, that when we pray, we're not asking God to just come meet us as we go upon our day, but we're saying, wherever you want to go, I want to go. Wherever you lead, I want to leave. I don't want to be the one who's driving. I want to be the one who's following. And that's what it means. That's why we call ourselves followers of Jesus, not leaders of Jesus. We're followers of Jesus. Last week, Pastor Rob talked about um, three other qualities or principles. When we went to the next scripture, he said, give us today our daily bread. And in verse 11, he talked all about petition, petition, that we can go to God for our practical needs. We can go to God for the needs that we have. And that's part of what prayer really is for a lot of people. It's, I need, can you help this? Can you do that? But he's talked about how needs change in the context of relationships. And it was so powerful, so powerful. That illustration of, of being a bachelor and how your needs change from being a bachelor to being married was awesome. Some of you know what I'm talking about. If you're a single guy and you have your own place, it might look like a mess and you might be okay with it. But then one day you're going to find somebody that you want to marry and she may not be okay with it. And your needs are going to change. And they're going to change quickly if you want to get married. And that kind of stuff happens, right? That happens. The needs you have as a single person change when the relationship happens. All of a sudden the needs look different. The things look different because you work together. Submission is part, I'm sorry, petition is part of that. We're petitioning God for needs, but it's all in the context of our relationship with God. The better relationship we have with God, the stronger the petition and the needs are very clear because we align ourselves to God's will. He gives us the desires of our heart. Confession is the next thing he talked about when he said, forgive us our debts and to confess to God things that we know separate us from him. Confession is a hard word for people to understand and people to practice. I struggle with confession sometimes and I was struggling with why and why do I wrestle with the idea of confessing my sin before God sometimes. And what it comes down to for me, I think, is simply this. When we don't understand how our sin separates us from God, we're not motivated to confess it. It's like, what's the consequence? I can just bury that under the carpet. I can pretend that it's not there. And God said, no, there's still a separation between us. We can see that in marital relationships or in friendships. When you sin against your spouse or you sin against a friend of yours, People that don't like to reconcile about those things, they just like to sweep them under the carpet and then walk alongside them and pretend like nothing ever happened. It creates a division between the people. That's truth. And it also creates a division between us and God. So he tells us to confess our sins. When we say, forgive us our debts, Lord, confess. We confess our sins. We don't want anything between you and us. 
as we also have forgiven our debtors, and that was the last part Pastor Rob talked about, forgiveness, and how forgiveness is a really hard thing for us to do sometimes because we think of the offenses people gave towards us or maybe people have hurt us, and it's hard for us sometimes to let go. A great solution to that, Jesus said, is pray for those who are your enemies. Don't just pray for those and bless those who love you. Pray for those who persecute you, your enemies. And what you'll find is we pray for those that hurt us God has a way of healing our hearts because forgiveness is never about the other person. It's about us. It's not about them. They can die and you can still forgive them. Do you know that? Do you know that you can forgive someone who's passed away? And the same benefit and the result you can receive when they're no longer even of this planet because forgiveness is not about them. Many times they walk around unaware that they even hurt you. God wants us to practice forgiveness so that we can be healthy. And again, nothing separates between us and him. Today we're going to look at verse 13 and we're going to briefly look at the two different verses or two different pieces of verse 13. We're going to look at the beginning. It says, and lead us not into temptation. And then the second half is, but deliver us from the evil one. And lead us not into temptation is the first piece of that. What do I think the principle or the quality is in that? I think what we're talking about in that is the idea of dependence, that prayer involves dependence. Now, now you might say, well, what is that? how does that differ from some of the other things? Like, give us today our daily bread, his needs. Don't we have to depend God? Yes, but it's a different kind of dependence, and let me explain. We have to depend on God to not lead us into temptation. That's what the verse says, right? Now, how many years did I read that thinking in my mind, God leads us into temptation? Like that sounds like a perverse version of the God that I know in Scripture, that God actually leads us. Here, here's some sin for you to consider. God does that? Is that what the passage means? Is that what the Scripture means, that God tempts us? You're almost like kind of waving something in front of you? You think that's the character of God? No, 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 that's not what the Scripture means at all. Prayer involves repentance, I'm sorry, dependence, but it has nothing to do with God tempting us. The Bible is very clear that God isn't the one that tempts us. In James chapter 1, in verse 13, we see, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. Okay, James just spells it out. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Well, that sounds like it contradicts the other one, Paul. What's going on? But in each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. So we're tempted and we're sinned because we have a sinful part of us that's drawn into that. So what does it mean when God is talking about, or the prayer is talking about test? Okay, it doesn't mean to entice someone into sin. It means the testing and the trials. And it makes sense. We see these examples in Scripture. We can be tested by temptation, but there's always a purpose in the testing. What it really means if we were going to reword it, I think, is this. Lord, don't let us enter in or yield to temptation. As our sinful nature draws us towards things, and then there's a test that happens, don't let us fail the test. Equip us, strengthen us, empower us so that we do not fail the test that's in front of us. Doesn't that sound different? So it's not God enticing us to sin. It's God saying your natural sinful nature is to move you closer to an attitude in a place where you're going to sin. The prayer in this is, Lord, as I move closer towards that and I see the test or the trial... Give me strength. I can't do this on my own. I need to depend on you. That's how I think it connects. So we're praying for dependence on God. We're praying for strength to rely on him and not on ourselves. Now, if you're one that's had a problem with sin, you're not alone. Everybody in here has. 
Some of you are better at it than others, but everybody has a, uh, a problem with sin. You know, I was just uh, talking to Pastor Nick the other day. Some of you remember him in Georgia. They uh, used to be here at Bridge, and now they're doing a church revitalization in Cleveland, Ohio. But they have a little girl, and uh, she had a temper tantrum the other day, and she took her table full of toys and just threw the table up in the air. You know? <laughs> and I was like, wow, Jesus would be proud if that was the temple, just tossing the temple. <laughs> You know, but it wasn't. She had a fit. She threw a fit. You don't have to teach kids to be angry or upset or selfish. There's something in us that just naturally moves us in that direction. It's a sinful nature that we were created, um, that we were entered into because of this sinful world. But the point I'm trying to say here is there is a way for us to overcome and work through testing and trial without succumbing to sin. And that's what Jesus is teaching us in this prayer. God, give us the strength. How do we do it? We do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot resist sin on your own accord, your own volition. I cannot ignore or eliminate sin in my life. I can't fight against sin by just digging in a little stronger and saying, I choose, I choose, I choose. In my strength, he will eat your lunch every single day. The devil will do it over and over again and will fail over and over again. It's not through our own abilities that we do it. It's through the work of the Spirit. Galatians 5.16 says it this way. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. So there's a conscious choice we have to ask ourselves each and every day as part of this prayer. What are we filling ourselves with today? What do you fill yourself with today? So there's a sinful nature, the flesh, and then there's the spiritual part of us. And either the flesh or the spirit wins every day. This bottle is representing a vessel, which would be us. Scripture says that we're like a vessel, we're like a jar of clay. There's a vessel and it holds stuff, okay? Um, the water that would in here, in here, you know, for me today just represents the power of the Holy Spirit. That when I trust in Christ, he comes and lives in my heart and he fills this vessel, which is me. And there's the spirit in me. And I have all of the spirit in me, but he does not have all of me. Because there's a lot of other stuff in there and the air in there represents the flesh. And you can see when you mix it all up, it can get all messy and you can see all the air bubbles and everything going around. When we allow ourselves to be filled a little bit with the Spirit, and we allow a lot of the flesh to still be part of our lives, when trials and testing come, there's always room to pour more stuff in that's not of God, because there's a big gap here. See what I mean? There's a big gap. You don't have to fill it with God. You can fill it with anything you want, and the world tries to tell you that you're going to fill it with anything you want. What do you fill your life with? Well, the Spirit's in there. Why do I still struggle with this area of sin? Because we're not being filled with the Spirit. We're not allowing ourselves to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. We're not encouraging and allowing the Spirit to fill us. And as we allow the Spirit to fill us, this bottle that once had a lot of water in it becomes this bottle that has all water and no air. And if I turn it around and I move it around, there's no air in this bottle. So let me ask you, if this is the way we choose to walk around in our lives every day, being filled with the Spirit, when the cap opens and the trial comes, how does anything get into that bottle if it's already filled with God? It can't. You hear what I'm saying? It can't. We have less temptation. Our trials are easily overcomable because they're like, we got to figure out a way to get in there. we got to figure out a way to displace the water here, maybe you're going to get squeezed and you get squeezed and if you can get the water out of you and then you open up again, there's air in here, you can fill it up again and now you can fill it up with something that's not of God. It's really all about how we fill ourselves. So when we pray this dependence, what we're really praying is God, help us to rely on you, not ourselves. 
so that when we need to be filled with your presence and your spirit, we are open to being filled with your presence and your spirit. And openness is not passive, my friends. Openness is active. Openness is active. And what I mean by that is we choose every day what we eat. Physically, you and I choose every day what food we put in our mouths. And a long time ago, you know, I learned it when my kids were little and they watched Veggie Tales. And Larry said that he was going to eat something and then he would be that. And I can't remember what he said. He was a cucumber, but he wanted to become something. So if he ate something, he'd be that. He goes, That's not what I meant. If you eat a pickle, you're not going to become a pickle. Figuratively speaking, you could. If you eat enough pickles, right? If you take a shower and pickle juice every day, that would be disgusting. Eventually, you're going to start smelling like pickles, right? If you eat onions all day, okay? Listen to this. This is awesome. A couple years back, I remember um, there was a guy that went to the gym that my wife and I went to. You know what I'm talking about. Um, and we knew that he loved garlic. Right? Yeah. He was the stinky man. And, and he, he loved garlic. And you could tell every morning. Do you know why? Because when he sweated, it all came out of him. Somebody had garlic the night before or the day before that. What you put into your body is going to come out at some point. The same thing applies to the spirit. And that's what we're praying against. When we face trials and temptations, choose, allow us to choose things that fill us with the spirit. What fills us with the spirit? God's word fills us with the spirit. Submitting to God's word fills us with the spirit. Serving and loving others fills with the spirit. Worshiping God fills us with the spirit. Listening to worship music fills us with the spirit. Every input you can think of to find a way to pour something into the vessel that's of the spirit is going to fill you with the spirit so that it keeps you from failing during times of trials and tests. Make sense? It's so important for us to understand. Sometimes we just sit there and we think the solution to this is just to put the lid on the jar of our lives and just tight as hard as we can, tighten it and go, we're not going to let you get that lid off. No way. The evil of this world's not going to do that. And then we turn around for a minute and the lid comes off. And guess what? We get filled with a whole bunch of junk. Well, how did that happen? Because we weren't filling ourselves. We were just trying to guard ourselves. A couple years ago, I had a friend that was struggling with an addiction and we talk about there's two different things you have to do when you struggle with addictions. It's kind of like you're driving on a mountainy road on the side of a road, a side of a mountain. You're going around the, uh, the mountain trying to get up to the mountain. And on the side, there's a dangerous cliff. And every time you'd fall into this addiction, it's like they would just go off the cliff every time. And I said, there's two things you need to do to get through that. I'm not going to marginalize it. But the first thing is you got to put a guardrail on the, on the um, road. So every time you hit that rail, you don't go over the cliff. And that is representative of the things we need to put in our lives to keep us from exposing ourselves to things that are sinful as opposed to things that are godly. And then God's spirit helps us overcome. We have to put guardrails into our lives. If you struggle with addiction, put a guardrail in. If you've wrestled with fill in the blank, alcoholism, if you struggle with alcohol, God's not calling you to minister to people in a bar. I think that's silly, but you know what? I'm going to be honest. If you struggle with alcohol, God's not calling you to just look at the stuff in your house and let other people partake in it. God's calling you to get it out of your house. He's calling you to say, you know what? That needs to be a guardrail because it's a test. Don't play with fire if you struggle with that. If you struggle with pornography, if you struggle with internet stuff, God's not just calling you to just be good you got to put a guardrail in your life. Sometimes that guardrail is accountability. Sometimes that guardrail is 
getting rid of something that you shouldn't have. Sometimes that the guardrail is, is yeah, sometimes that guardrail is just saying no to stuff that you think is okay, knowing that it might open a door sometime, but you're strong enough today. Guardrails matter, and that's how we allow the Holy Spirit into our lives. The second thing we have to do if we're driving around that mountain so we don't drive off the cliff is to change our heart so we don't try to drive off the cliff. Because there's two things that happen. You might bump up against that guardrail, but if your heart's still trying to go off the cliff, eventually you're going to find a way to get through. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. Because when he changes our heart, and we rely on God to change our heart, then we walk away from it. We get far away from it. We don't ask ourselves how close we can get before we sin. We ask how close we can get to God and who cares where the line is. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 Apostle Paul says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. We need to take this and plant this in our heart and be reminded that there is no temptation. There is no testing. There is no thing that could possibly come your way that you don't have the ability to overcome. There's nothing that I could have to come my way that I don't have the ability to get through without sinning. I always can get through it. I always can overcome it. Why? Not because of who I am, but because of who God is and the spirit of God that lives in me, the spirit of God that lives in you. Well, it's too hard, Paul. You don't know where I came from. You don't know the environment that I live in, okay? I don't know the environment that you live in, but I know that though God's word says there's a way you can get out. If you're looking for the way to get out, be intentional and get out. You don't know the generational stuff that I have in my life. My dad was this way. My grandfather was this way. This is what happens. This is just the way we are. No, when you're tempted and there are trials that are happening, God loves you enough and is powerful enough to always give you a way out so you don't need to succumb to sinful things. That's part of the Lord's prayer. Lead us not into temptation means as we are tested, preserve us and give us strength through your Holy Spirit only, feeding our spirit so that we don't sin and offend you, God. The second quality or principle we see in the Lord's Prayer is not just lead us not into temptation, but it's the second part. It's but deliver us from the evil one. And that involves a prayer of declaration, I believe. A prayer of declaration. It's not just a prayer of declaration. It's a prayer of rescue. We need to be reminded, I think, I need to be reminded that Jesus didn't just come to die on a cross so that we could go to church, sing some songs, and live an okay life. And one day when we die, we'll go to heaven. He came to bring heaven to earth. He came to establish relationship between us and him. He came to destroy the power of death, evil, and sin. He's not going to destroy. He has destroyed the power of death, evil, and sin through the work on the cross. We are in this already not yet world, but it doesn't mean that he hasn't already destroyed evil. Sometimes I think as Christians, we, we look at the place, the world around us, and we go, um, you know, there's a lot of bad stuff going around, and you know, this is going to be a tough one to get through. Um, I don't know. I mean, can, can God do this? And we lose sight of the fact that delivering us from evil is a declaration a declaration to say through the cross. You know what the Bible says about the cross? The Bible says that to Satan and to the enemies of the cross, the spirit realm, the demonic realm, the cross was the ultimate embarrassment to the devil. That's what it says. Guys, the ultimate embarrassment. Every time he sees the cross, you know what he reminds, he's reminded of? He lost. He lost 
every time he sees the cross. He lost. He thought he had him. He died. I killed the son of God. But he rose again. And now the cross doesn't have Jesus on it anymore. The cross is empty and so is the tomb. The cross is a reminder to the demonic forces and to Satan himself that Jesus is in charge of the universe. And he has to submit to God Almighty. Deliver us from the evil one. It's a prayer of rescue that we can trust that God is always more powerful than the power of evil. Can I tell you, Satan only has power over you if you give it to him. Satan only has power over you if you give it to him. Now, that doesn't mean that you can do everything that Jesus did the way Jesus did it. I don't, last I saw, no one's walking on water. If you can do that, talk to me. I'd be interested to learn. But we have the power Paul says, of the Holy Spirit in us, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, living in us. And sometimes, sometimes it's not about just raising our sword and trying to fight. Sometimes it's about recognizing that the devil's not going to approach us from a head-on, let's just go to blows with our fists. Sometimes it's a very slow fade. Or if I can get you to take one step away from the power of God today and another step tomorrow, and another step tomorrow, you'll recognize that you're further away from him and you wonder, how did you get off track? How did you release the authority and the power a little at a time? Because he's smart. He finds ways to say, just because you believe it now doesn't mean it's always gonna be that way. But God reminds us through the apostle John in 1 John 4, 4. He says, children, you belong to God and you have defeated these enemies. Listen, God's spirit is in you and is more powerful than the one that is in the world. Think about that. God's spirit lives in us and he is more powerful than the one that is in the world. I think we don't give him the authority that he has rightfully earned because he's God. He died on the cross. It says, therefore, his death on the cross, God gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of, name of Jesus Every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father in Philippians 2. That's what he's saying. His work on the cross, he is in charge. And the one who lives in us, the spirit, is greater than every other power in the world and the one who lives in the world. The devil knows this. He just wants you to believe that you don't have the authority. So he roars and he puts on a big, a big show. He's like a paper tiger. He's like a paper tiger. Scary, but there's no substance to it. And he'll do whatever he can to give you problems and do what you can. And, and if we sit back and cower and go, I mean, like I'm really getting beaten up and this is hard. And we don't look to what's in us, the authority that's in us. He's going to run rampant in our lives. And that's what this power, this passage is about. Deliver us from evil. Let's be reminded as we declare the one who lives in us is greater than the one who lives in the world. Apostle Peter said that the devil's like a roaring lion looking for people who devour. But you know what's interesting about the spirit realm, the demonic and the, uh, and, uh, and the godly? It seems in the Gospels is when you see the demons really start showing themselves. You don't see a lot of demonic activity in the Old Testament. Yes, there's spirits and different things. But in the New Testament, wherever Jesus went, there seems to be stories where the demons just start saying, we know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. And there's an immediate submission that has to take place during that time. And then what does Jesus say many times? Be quiet. Be quiet. And he commands them not to speak. You know, he's basically saying, shut up. And you know I have authority to tell you that. And they have to. 
In the one situation with the man in the Gra- uh, Grassines, I think, or in that region, he had a legion of demons in him. And when Jesus came upon him, they begged him, it says in the book of Luke, they begged him not to send them to the abyss, but to send them into a herd in a flock of a herd of pigs. They begged him because they understood his authority over their authority. And I think we need to do a better job sometimes. I need to do a better job of reminding myself the authority of Christ is greater than every other authority. Oh, we were thrilled four months ago to get a little puppy. Some of you like puppies. You like puppies? They're fun sometimes. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes, you know. My floor didn't think so, but, you know, once they got past that, it was all right. Well, this puppy, you know, puppies, they're mouthy. They like to bite and nibble and things like that, and they do that. Well, he's almost seven months old, and he's getting better at it, but he still likes to do it. And there's this pattern that we've noticed, especially when it comes to our youngest um, daughter, that, that she'll tell him, no, push him away, push him away, push him away, and he'll still come back, like, I want to gnaw, I want to play, I want to do this. And she's like, no, no. And he'll do it sometimes, and sometimes he'll stop, but usually he keeps coming back at her. It happened the other day, and I was sitting in the other room, and I just went, hey! And he turned to look, stop it! And he just sat down. <laughs> this is true. This is what happens. And he starts going at it and doing it again. A little bit later, I walk in, hey! Looked at me. Sit down. Just sit down. The other week, he ran upstairs where he wasn't supposed to run upstairs. And I was on the computer, and my wife said, stay downstairs. And sure enough, you hear tap, 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 and he starts going upstairs. And I just yelled. I said, hey, Charlie, get down here. You're not allowed to get up there. Come down here. Down the steps, came right around the corner to me, and just sat there and just looked at me. True story. Why does he do that? He understands something. He understands that my authority is greater than his that he can't get away with that stuff because I'll mess him up. (laughs) You know, never mind. I don't want to tell you what that means. He's a good boy. I think the devil does this sometimes. That he says, I got power. I got influence. I can do this. I can do that. I'm going to do all these things. I'm going to get into your life. I'm going to cause problems. And we're saying, no, 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 stop. Stop, 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 stop. And he's like, watch me. I'm going to keep going. Stop going. And we forget the fact that we can just go, Jesus. And Jesus steps in and goes, hey. And the devil goes, yes, Lord. You know, in the story of Job, it's a beautiful story of how Satan stands before God. God says, have you considered my servant Job? He's righteous in every way. And then Satan begins to attack Job and accuse him of all these things. And he says, well, yeah, if I take away all his stuff, he'll curse you. If I take away his family, he'll curse you. And he goes through this process. You know what's awesome in the midst of that? At the end, it says God allows him through testing and trial to do those things, but he forbids the devil to take his life. I get chills I think about that because he understood the authority. And Satan can only go as far as we allow him to go. Through the power of the Spirit in our lives, we can defeat the temptations and overcome the trials so that we stay in close relationship with God. Colossians 1, 13 through 14 says, He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. God rescued you guys. 
He rescued me. He pulled me out of the depths of darkness. He pulled you out of the depths of the darkness. And once he rescued us, he doesn't need to rescue us again. It was done once and for all. He did it. He changed the course of eternity through his son. And we need to remember the authority and the power that comes from that. So how do we do this? How do we resist? We walk with the Holy Spirit, as we said earlier. But in James 4, 7, he gives us a little clue. He says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And it's easy for us to see the second half of that. Resist the devil and he will flee. If I resist the devil, he will flee. If I resist the devil, he will flee. And sometimes we, we interpret that as that's our own strength again. You see, there's that strength, our own strength. But the first part matters when we say, submit yourselves. The active part of watching the devil flee from our temptations and our trials is to submit ourselves, which means we have to do our part so that God can do his part. If you're in a marital relationship and your marriage is stinking and you're struggling and you're going through a difficult time, you could say, God, I mean, we're trialing and this is really not going well and we're struggling with this and we're struggling with that. And I don't know what the solution is. I mean, in the name of Jesus, you know, this has got to change. In the name of Jesus, it's got to change. And God's going to say, submit yourself. Resist the temptations to go a different direction and watch what I can do. What does that look like? Maybe it looks like in your submission, you go get help. Maybe it means you go talk to someone about the problem and don't try to solve it yourself. Historically, what we see, and I'm in the same camp, but historically over the last number of years that I've been doing this, when couples come for help and they're struggling with different marriage situations, it usually kind of plays out where one of them has wanted to or has sought help for years. And the other one, not so much. I'm just being honest with you, most of the time, it's the guy who doesn't want to go. We can, fix, we can fix this. We can fix this ourselves. We don't need to go talk to, why would I spend money to do that? Happens all the time. I see it all the time. God, how can we resist this temptation? How can we stop moving into an ad, a place of sin? How can we change our trajectory and what we're doing in our lives? Submit yourselves. To who? To God. What does God say? Don't be prideful. Ask for help. Be humble. And God raises up humble people. Recognize that, you know what? It's okay to not be okay. If people judge you for that, it's their issue. It's not yours. You struggle with an addiction, a struggle, a problem, ask help. We're really, really good at keeping things in secret, in behind closed doors, in dark rooms, because we're afraid that if we say something about it, if we talk to people about it, if we walk through that, the people are going to look at us differently. Can I tell you, they are going to look at you differently. But if you're working on it, you know what they're going to say? Man, I wish I was gutsy enough to be that honest about where I am. And look what they're doing. I mean, everyone through Scripture, all these people that wrote these, this Bible, especially in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament too, we got murderers in here. They all sinned against God. It wasn't their sin that determined their identity. This can be submit ourselves, be honest, put it out in the open, get help. And when we do those kinds of things, we resist the devil because he's really good at keeping things secret. And when things are secret, they have power. And when they're not secret and they're in the open, they lose their power. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. The last few weeks, we've been taking the end of our service and we've been taking a few moments to pray. And we're going to do that again today. Our worship team is going to come and just get ready and we're going to play some music here. If you're not familiar with what we've done over the last few weeks, 
part of why this has been important for us is because hearing about the Lord's Prayer is one thing, but actually doing the Lord's Prayer is how we're supposed to live. I don't want to just hear, I want to do. I want to actually practice and see what God wants to do in us and through us. So if you're around friends or family and you'd like to gather around them and pray through two things we're going to lead you through, this is your opportunity to do that. If you're here today and that makes you nervous, but you're a follower of Christ, can I encourage you? Stretch yourself. Just try something new and different today and see how God responds. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus or you're not sure what you know about the whole thing, what you can do is not just pray what we're praying, pray the prayer of doubt. I don't even know what I believe, Lord, if you're even there. Use the things around me to open my eyes to you if you really are who you say you are and watch what God begins to do as you pray that way. So the first one we're gonna pray about, we're praying about is dependence from Galatians 5.16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Do you have an area in your life that you've wrestled with that's been an area of trial and testing where you continue to sin? Let's take a few moments and ask God to let the Holy Spirit guide our lives, which may mean filling yourself with something new releasing something or letting go something in your life that's not of him so that he can be filled or you can be filled with him. Let's take a few moments and pray this morning the prayer of dependence. Father, through trials and temptations, through testing, may we not sin against you. God, don't let us try to resist sin and temptation by doing it in our own strength, but let us lean into you to the power of your spirit by filling ourselves with the things that honor you and that draw us closer to you. I pray, God, that each one of us today, that you're through your spirit would identify areas of our lives that are feeding us the wrong things and we would release them today. We would release them to make room for your spirit. The next area we're gonna pray is a prayer of declaration. Paul writes in Colossians, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I'll briefly share a story. A couple years ago when we were in Haiti for a mission trip, we went to a church. The pastor there, his name was Samuel, and we went to a school right across the street from the church and we were helping him build a school. He had missions teams come down to help him over the course of some time. And we went over to the church one night, or that evening, and he showed us that the property right next door to them was owned by a voodoo temple. And he said he knew the father and the son and the, the, the wife who was part of the voodoo temple. And he said right down the road from them, there was an intersection. There were four, uh, a four-way intersection, which has some significant purpose in the spirit realm, he said, for people that practice voodoo worship. And he said every Friday night they would set up a service there and they would conduct all type of demonic things in that four-way intersection. And the church couldn't tolerate it anymore. So they began having a prayer meeting. And he said they'd come at seven or eight o'clock at night and the prayer meeting would go to one or two o'clock in the morning. People wouldn't leave. They'd sleep overnight because it was unsafe for them to walk home in the dark. But they would stay for hours of worship and prayer. And he said, and we did this for a long time. And then one day I was talking to the priest of the voodoo temple 
And he said, we don't have our meetings there anymore because we're not allowed to. He said, what do you mean? He goes, our spirits have told us, but because of your worship services and your prayers that we are prohibited to have a worship service at that quadrant, that we are not allowed to meet because what you are doing. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, my friends. And he brought us into the kingdom of his beloved son, whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The one who lives in us is greater than the one who lives in the world. Will you take a few moments and declare that this morning? Just thank God for being greater than every other thing. And if you've doubted it, ask God for forgiveness, but then grasp hold of that because the father wants you to walk in relationship with him. Let's just declare his goodness this morning in prayer. Recognize how awesome he is. Would you stand with me as the worship team sings this song for us and with us? I want you to join in as we make this declaration. God, I just come before you today and I wanna say thank you for your love and for your, pay, for your patience with us. Thank you for drawing us close to you, Lord. Thank you for being greater than any tragedy or any difficulty or any sin or any temptation that can come our way. God, thank you for being in charge of the universe and for sending your son because you loved us so much. Lord, I pray this morning as we take a few moments and our hearts are open and we celebrate you and we celebrate those being water baptized today, Lord, that we would not lose sight of the beautiful relationship we can now have because of your son. God, we give this time to you. I pray, Lord, that we would really make a declaration like the song says, that we're gonna build our life on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. This time we're gonna invite any of the people in the church that are participating in water baptism to join Pastor Rob and Pastor Matt. If you're here this morning and you've never been water baptized, I encourage you to join them today. Take that next step if you're a follower of Jesus and you'd like to be water baptized. We have clothing, we have shorts, we have everything you need and they'll instruct you if you're interested in going.